as Mr. McKillops shared earlier, we are going to conclude really this section, which isn't just about the last two elements of our list of uh, characters or characteristics or qualities of the believer that's growing, but also want to wrap up really the verses that follow that as we have kind of referenced them from the beginning all the way back to our study on diligence and saw how Peter uses that term throughout this section of Scripture. And so we come to this and let's remind ourselves where we have gotten. I know it's been a couple of weeks because we had our celebration of the Lord's resurrection last week. And so I invite you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we find that in this presentation of growing faith, uh, not increasing the amount of faith, remember, we determined that faith is something we all have possession of, whether where we place that faith is really the question, and the evidence of that faith in our lives. We want to add to that faith. We've looked at uh, the, the order here. We've seen it as a progressive one. That is that we are doing them in this order, not one time in our life, but repeatedly over and over throughout our life, that we are being attentive to all of these things, but recognizing that each of the latter ones are really dependent upon us establishing the prior ones. And so, first of all, we need to be people of faith. We need to be... Fu- committed to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I have trusted in him, that's where it begins. You can try to begin this in reverse, and it will be a mess. You will have a disaster on your hands. You will fail miserably. The world tries to do that. Let's just have brotherly love. Can't we all just get along? Well, you can't. Because of what is in your heart, that our hearts are stained with sin. It must begin by being people of faith, of trusting in Jesus Christ, to having that new life that comes through Belief in the work of Jesus Christ. That we have to have that initial transformation of being new people, being born again, being new creations of our Lord. On the spiritual level, that that has to happen first. So we're going to add now to that faith. We've seen virtue, the idea of understanding that things have to change, that I was a sinner and now I have been forgiven and now those things that I called sin need to be eradicated from my life. Even before I know anything else about what God wants, I know he doesn't want me to do what I was convicted of doing before I got saved. I don't need to study much more of God's word if I already have that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so I should move towards virtue and virtue of course is a term that's really social, it's external, it is, it is often mostly associated with the concepts of, of society, of how I engage. I'm going to do right to people. And we could put in mind some biblical references, of course, to that. It's not that we do this absent of scripture. Um, even in our warped culture, we still have some concept of what the golden rule is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and that is a virtue. That is a social righteousness that says, I'm going to treat people well. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to steal from you. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to tell you, the, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you Christ's righteousness. I'm concerned about you. And it's kind of interesting because we're going to end on that same theme from a whole different level. And so we have virtue, and we're going to add to our virtue knowledge. We're going to have an informed conscience. And that information comes from a knowledge through God's word, that as I study God's word and I see it and I apply then I recognize that this has authority in my life. I need to subject myself to this and I should have an informed conscience. Then the more information I get, the more I should be 
transforming myself in a cooperative with God's work of making me a new creation to do works fitting of my calling. And so I'm going to do that which I am informed by God's word as I increase in my knowledge of Christ. I do not diminish in righteousness. I excel in righteousness. I'm going to keep raising the bar in my life over my Christian walk. Why? Because I am learning more and more about what pleases God, and that is my heart's desire as a person of faith, is to please God. It was evident beginning of my faith walk because I wanted to abandon the sins I was convicted of and that virtue, and now it is going to continue to grow, but just having a knowledge of what I'm supposed to do isn't really quite enough. And so as I learn what God wants, now I have to overcome a huge barrier, and that huge barrier is... (laughs) Um, my habits. And that's why we come to that next one we studied two weeks ago that was self-control. I'm going to have to exert my knowledge and over my patterns of behavior. I'm going to have to transform my behavior patterns that sometimes I've been taught since a very young child that are unbiblical. Even in other uh, times when I was still a Christian but ignorant of these things, uh, God, and the Bible says God overlooked that ignorance, but now that his word is complete, calls all men everywhere, doesn't he, to repentance. And so for the believer, repentance is a reality in our life. As, why, as I increase in the knowledge of Christ, I recognize my life is not in agreement with this that pleases God. Therefore, I need to change the patterns of my life to conform themselves to what I know God wants. And that's not an easy endeavor. And that's why Peter says you're going to have to add self-control. And that self-control isn't just not doing the things I used to do or that I thought were pleasing to God or things I said in in speech and patterns or, like I said, one of the hardest things to change, uh, but just things that even our culture approves of that God's Word does not. And every human culture has those. And so we draw from this and we say, well, I know this now. Now, how do I conform myself to it? And so the Bible tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We do that through our learning. Now that I know this to be the case, now I have to somehow get this flesh to live the way I know it should be, because God has informed my conscience. And when I don't do that, or when I fail to do that which I should be doing, uh, or I do what I should not be doing, uh, either way, I have remorse. I should have conviction. I should have a recognition. This is something that needs to change my life. Pronto. Not just sometime, but I now have this knowledge. I need to add self-control. And this is given by us by Paul in the book of Galatians, as one of the evidences of the fruit, this we call the fruit, the evidences of the Holy Spirit in your life. And one of the things the Holy Spirit aids us in is exercising that self-control. And so we submit ourselves to him. We ask him for that work in our life so we can exercise self-control. How long? Well, we have to do that for a long, long time. Changing patterns of behavior uh, is a task that takes time. You can't just say one Lord's Day, I'm going to do this, and then it lasts a week, and then you've gone right back into your other patterns of behavior. Uh, behavioral therapists tell you well, you have to do something 40 times to change it. I think that's probably uh, a minimum <laughs> to have changed behavior of, of just patterns, whether it be of our, of our, and we know that. We know that in other patterns, if you want to quit this or start this, I want to have this exercise, I want to be healthier, so I want to eat better, I want to work out more. Well, those patterns need to be established, and they can easily be left off if we abandon them. So it is with our Christian walk. That's why it calls us to exercise self-control with perseverance. Add perseverance to that. We're not talking about just conforming myself to the truth one, one week, one month, We're talking about transforming my life so that from this day forward, this is how I will live. According to this informed conscience that I have by increasing my knowledge of Jesus Christ, of his word. And when that happens over time, we saw two weeks ago that 
added to this now becomes godliness. And this is going to be repeated for us in the last two, so let's talk about it again a little bit. That godliness, different than virtue, is internal. It is transforming my will. It is where I uh, have a, an intense desire to please God, and it is all I want to live for. That no longer am I sights set on, on this, this world's accomplishments, that rising up in social scale and economic ladder, none of those things now appeal to me. That godliness comes upon my wanter, my will, and, and now I have this intense desire to main, not only maintain this, but now I want to learn more. How can I be more godly? How can I improve these things in a manner that pleases God and yet do it in a, in, in a manner that also encourages those around us, as we're going to see here shortly. And so, while virtue is primarily external, godliness really is more internal. And we're not going to, we, and while faith is a transformation, we aid that, we, we are to cooperative with that, so that we can do these steps, and as we do those steps, suddenly after we have persevered in, in exercising self-control to conform ourselves to this informed conscious, conscience, now we have an intensity added. I have this longing. It's not drudgery anymore. And this is what John talks about in 1 John, where he says, I want to obey his commands, and his commands are not grievous. I don't just do it because I have to. I don't go to church because I have to. I don't do this because I have to. Well, God expects me to do this, so I have to do this. No, I have a longing to do this. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is godliness. It is an internal desiring after truth and after the application of truth to my life called righteousness. And so um, it, it, is, it is informed, and after persevering in sometimes, and there are days that I still say, well, I have to do this because I'm called to do this. Um, this is what pleases God. And I'm tired, and maybe I'm, but I know that if I lose this discipline, that self-control, if I lose this discipline, sometimes even for a day or two or three, that I could slip away from that discipline for an extended period of time. And it will be detrimental to my Christian life, and I don't want that to happen. And so I have this passionate interest in righteousness, and that is godliness. And it comes as we, as we gain the benefits of living out an informed conscience in obedience, and the, the sensation and the, not just feeling, but the knowledge that this is pleasing to God, it is well-pleasing to God. And it has benefited me spiritually, as well as in my relationships, perhaps even physically, um, and, and maybe even socially. But those aren't nearly comparable to the spiritual benefits that I'm seeking out of godliness. This brings us to the last two. And the last two, again, are two words we're pretty familiar with, and to find them right side by side is, this is one of the few passages that has these um, so closely correlated, and it should be no mistaking that this is Peter's writing, because one of the other passages where they are closely coordinated is in a conversation between Jesus and Peter, the resurrected Lord, and Peter himself. And so we have these two words that we're going to add to our godliness. Now that we have lived out our, our informed conscience long enough that now I just want to please God, that one of the things, and, and again, we're talking grades, that that's going to keep improving over time. We're not just saying, I've, I've arrived, and now I can move on. No, you're going to arrive many, 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 many times and move on many, 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 many times. So all of these areas are developing in you continuously. And so your godliness will increase. Not your faith. You're adding to your faith, but you're going to increase in godliness as you increase in your perseverance, as you increase in your uh, self-discipline and your self-control, as you increase your knowledge, as you increase in virtue. And so we want to live out these informed consciences. And now, as we do so, we recognize that this isn't just about me. This isn't just about between me and God. That's exciting 
to have a life that I know is more and more pleasing to God is a passion. It has become a passion. That's godliness. It is what I want to do. It is how I want to be defined. It is what I want everyone to remember. Not what kind of car I drove. Not what, how many kids I had. No, I just want people to remember how much I wanted to please God. Well, now we come, and, and suddenly I realize when I get to this level, uh, and, and whether it's you know, the first step or whether it's you know, other levels, that each level I'm learning that this isn't just about me. And we kind of go back to the concept of virtue, that virtue is external. It's about treating others well. Well, now instead of thinking, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not going to kill you, I'm not going to hate you, uh, the, the Bible correlates that. I'm not going to commit adultery or lust. I'm not going to, uh, instead of that, I'm looking more towards how can I serve my brethren. You see, now because of this, I realize that this isn't just about between me and God. It's about me and my peers, my fellow believers. The virtue is really toward, directed, as we talked about, towards those who see God's transformation in your life and you want to witness to them that gospel message in your life's change. And that can still happen even if you're a very mature believer. Uh, that they say, wow, you take this pretty seriously. Yes. And that should just keep going on. Uh, but also, when we get to this point, where we want to add to our godliness that, you know, those who want to sit around and say, oh, I'm just here, just me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God. And I'm like, oh, you're not there. You think you are, but you're under the condition, Peter says, if, you're not, if you lack these things, you're short-sighted even to blindness and forgotten some things. You've cleansed from your sin. It's not a selfish thing. The Christian walk is not about just you and God. And so you're going to add something to that. You're going to add brotherly kindness, and that's the phileo, that is uh, brotherly love or brotherly kindness. So you're going to take care of your brethren, you recognize the responsibility that as you try to please God, that one of the ad, ad elements of that is now, all right, my cup is filling up. What am I doing with it? Am I just savoring it for myself? Or am I extending that to others around me? That what I have received from Christ, am I willing to distribute to others? So as I receive mercy, I should be giving out mercy. As I receive grace, I should be extending grace. As I receive the benefits of my salvation, I should be distributing those. As I receive the gifts of the Spirit, I should be ministering those. And, and throughout Scripture, there's a consistent principle that one of the strongest evidence of real, I mean real, spiritual growth. Not ritualistic growth, but real spiritual growth is ministry. That I'm going to extend myself to my brethren. That this has to flow through me, from God, through me to others. That this is one of the fundamental purposes for my remaining here on earth uh, and, uh, and having life and breath is to minister, to have brotherly kindness. That I'm going to extend that to people uh, all around me, that all of the family of God are going to see that evidence in my life consistently. And I have to talk about the second word because they're so closely related, and we're going to talk about how you go from one to the other. And then it says you're going to add to your brotherly kindness love. And this is that agape, uh, and we, we can talk about which one's better or worse in the Greeks had a very different concept than most people have about which one's better or superior. Um, it's probably different than what you think. Uh, they would have considered phileo very uh, substantial and superior, uh, but agape was fuller. And the word I want to use is more passionate. Just as we go from, from virtue to godliness, when we go from phileo to agape, we're going from doing, from, from expressing ourselves to that, to being passionate about that, that it is something that we live to do. And so brotherly kindness says, well, I'm obligated to do this. I have made a commitment in my life to extend this to my brethren. 
and hence it becomes an obligatory on me. It is something I just know God wants me to do this. I don't always feel like I want to do this. I'm going to persist in it, though, because I'm going to exercise self-control and perseverance. I'm going to persist in this because I know it is pleasing to God. I have a desire to please God, and I recognize I have a responsibility to my brethren around me. I need to serve them, even when it costs me. And that's sacrificial. Phileo love is not unsacrificial. It's very sacrificial in the Greek mind. And Peter years using it as a concept that I am going to be 100% committed to the welfare and, and care of my brethren. These acts of kindness that I'm going to extend to them, uh, ministering my, my spiritual gifts for them, and well beyond that. I'm not just limited to where I'm gifted. I should be ministering to my brethren in every possible way way available, made available to me. And of course, Jesus Christ himself teaches us extensively. We come into the Gospels, we see it a lot uh, throughout the Gospels. We come into the Epistles, we see that. We, we can look through all of the, we, we can go through all of them. I've already quoted from both John and Paul's writings. And so here Peter is just reiterating something that we are going to move from brotherly kindness, brotherly love, that I'm going to be 100%, and love is not a feeling. I know I'm going to use the word passion about the agape, but that's more intensity than about how much your emotions are involved. It's really still just furthering commitment. And so this is a commitment. This is a decision of your will that I choose regardless of personality, regardless of my feelings, regardless of uh, any of the way the world um, attraction, any of those things, regardless of whether I like them or not, I will seek the well-being of my fellow believers, of my brethren. And I will make that commitment. That is phileo love. I will make that commitment. Agape simply takes that to a passionate level where it is a driving force, not an obligatory force. So over here, with love, love, I've made the commitment. The commitment is strong and it is enduring. It must be persevered in. I will do kindness to all regardless of how I uh, am committed to them individually and committed to this concept that I will serve my brethren. Agape takes that to another level and says, I am driven to serve them. And now I come to them not with obligation, but with an intensity that says, I love you and want to serve you, regardless. Now, the, uh, the idea of this is not strange to us. Um, if you've ever courted someone, all of you married people have, I hope, I hope, I think, I don't think any of you had arranged marriages. Mrs. Fry, did you have an arranged marriage? You, were, you might be old enough, no? Well, we've really lost it for like 300 years, 200 years. Uh, so you had a courtship. Well, what did you do to get that guy or that girl to like you? Well, you started doing good things to her or him. Uh, and in fact, one of the things we tell couples that are in trouble, that say, I've fallen in love. It's like, well, what kind thing have you done for each other lately? What do you do for your spouse on a regular basis? Uh, and I'm not talking about why you're doing it yet. I'm not even discussing that. What are you doing for your spouse on a regular basis? You know, that she or he can completely rely upon and, and, and not just a surprise every now and then. That's... Uh, that, that's okay, but I'm talking about something that is dependably, uh, I'm doing this for her. I'm doing this for him. Whether he appreciates it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they recognize it or not, I'm going to persist in doing this. And, I, and, and it's amazing how much as you continue and continue to do things that are loving, even if you don't have love in it, how it will bring those feelings later. So when I encounter people say, well, we, don't, we fell out of love. I was like, well, that's just because you got lazy. It's the only way you fall out of love is you got lazy. 
Because you stop doing the things that we understand in this, in the word here, in, the, in, the, in our English translation, kindnesses. You stop doing kindnesses, and then you lost that passionate commitment to that person. It didn't happen overnight. You just wake up one day and says, oh, I don't like you. No. It happened a thousand times when you ignored, were selfish, put others before that person, uh, backseated them, put them on the back burner of your life, and all those times that you just could have done something nice for them and didn't. All those missed opportunities combined, uh, suddenly, I don't love you anymore. How do you undo that? Well, you go back and you start over like you were when you were courting. I'm going to do nice things for you. And what is Now, I'm a guy, so I only know the courtship side from my side, okay? So I'm going to take you out to eat. I'm going to buy you things. I'm going to compliment you. I'm going to have a long conversation with you. I'm going to open the door for you. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing all these things. That's how, really, we fell in love. I didn't really know you very well. I might have had an attraction to you that might have initiated that, or I might not have. I might have just decided to be kind to you because we were stuck together somewhere on a deserted island. No, none of you were on a deserted island, I don't think. I know most of your stories. Nathan and Kelly were the closest because they were in Europe, walking around with no clothes or something, I don't know. Backpacking, backpacking. One change of clothes, something like that. So that's about the closest you're going to get. So you're out there, and you're just like, well, I have to be, we have to be kind. I should have said no clothes. <laughs> I just remember, I said, they're doing what? Okay. That's an experience. Um, it'll either make you hate each other or love each other, one or the other, right? It's got to do that. We have all of that. We know. We know that as I exercise kindness towards people, I will, as the world says, fall in love with them. But in a biblical concept, I will grow to not doing it under obligation, but doing it out of of passion for it. That I desire it. And so I, I don't... We, we begin, we begin this process, well, I, I'm going to, and all those things that we do in that courtship is that we do to, to build love, we have to redo if we fall out of love to rebuild it again. Because love isn't fickle. It is a result of hard work and commitment. Love is a commitment. And so here we're making a commitment. I will do kindness to my fellow believers and I'll keep doing it until I can add agape to it, and now I do it passionately. It is what I am, not just what I do. And so I can be a loving husband and still not really have love in my heart. But if I persist in that, amazing things happen, because now I've, gotten, so now I've fallen back in love with her. And this is the pattern of life. We see it. As you're kind to one another, you will grow more intimate with one another. And now kindness isn't something I have to do it. I don't like them, but I'll do it because they're a Christian. You know, I don't have that attitude anymore. I can't wait to do for them. I look forward to it. And when I add that, it, and, and it doesn't diminish my brotherly love. It, it, it raises it to another bar. But it begins with this brotherly love, that I'm going to do these acts of kindness, even if my motivation might be questionable at the beginning. Now, the suitor, he does it because he's initially attracted to that person for whatever reasons, whether it's physical attraction or uh, spiritual attraction or mental attraction. Um, yes, you can't have attraction on different levels than just physical. Okay? A lot of people don't think that's true, but it, it, they're, they're just ignorant. Uh, we have, rather, uh, why, what is their motive? Well, I'm attracted, but I don't really know that person. Okay? For me, um, I was attracted to this cute gal that served uh, 
at the serving line at the college. I said, oh, I don't know anything about her, but she had a nice smile. That was important to me. She had a nice smile. And I still tell wives, why don't you, you got to smile at your husband five times a day. You just got to give him a big, honest grin. And, well, it doesn't have to be, uh, but, you know, an honest one. Well, that's me, because smiling is important to me. And so she had a beautiful smile, and, and I was like, because she meant it. She didn't just say, serving, serving, ho, oh, oh. You know, it was, hi. You know, and I was like, wow, she's got a personality. She can smile while she's working. Imagine that. Even when people are obnoxious to her. And so that was attractive. So now I'm going to make a decision, and I want to pursue that. Well, what am I going to, I'm going to start finding out what she's interested in, and we're going to start, and all these things. Why? Well, I, I wasn't in love with her. I was attracted. And so, but it grew to that. And so we begin with brotherly kindness, and we do put out the effort and energy that it takes, even if it seems obligatory, even if sometimes our motives might be suspect. We say, well, Christ has done this for me. I'm commanded to do this for you, and I will be doing that for you because I have already added to my virtue knowledge. I've already added to my knowledge self-control. I've already added to my self-control perseverance. I've already added on some level to my perseverance godliness, and now I want to serve God's people better. And while I'm doing that, I'm going back over here, and I'm going to say, I want to serve the world better too, be virtuous, more virtuous. I want to increase my knowledge. I want to then increase my self-control, persevere in it till I become even another step higher of godliness. And now, guess what I get there? I'm going to add, I want to serve my brethren more. Sometimes it's not more often, sometimes more deeply until finally I add to that brotherly love out of recognition. This is pleasing to the Father. I want this because this is a natural expression of my love for the Father because he loved you. I should love, have this brotherly love, this care for you. But now I want, after doing it and persevering in that, that I want to see it grow into this agape love that has a lot more passion uh, associated with it where it is a driving part of my life. It is the defining part of my relationship now that I'm not just doing these things for you. I am committed to you. And there's a difference. And so if I can get a, a troubled couple to start doing things for one another that are kind and loving, uh, even though they're not in love, uh, I say, well, just let's do what is right. Let's start doing it. And, and I know that people say, well, that's behavior modification. I believe in behavior modification because the Bible teaches it. Because it doesn't say start off with agape and go to brotherly love. It says start with brotherly love and go to agape. Start doing things that are kind, that demonstrate that you really believe, because you've learned in God's word, that these people sitting around you are your brethren. You have a responsibility to them. And do what needs to be done for them. That one day, you will do it passionately. One day, you will fall in love with them. And now the motivation is very clear. I'm not doing it out of obligation. I'm not doing it because I'm fulfilling commitment. I'm not doing it because I've, I've made this. I'm doing it because I have genuine concern for you. And this is what Peter calls us to, is that we move from doing right towards our brethren to this passion for our brethren that I'm not doing it because it's right. I'm not doing it just because it's right. I'm doing it because I want to. Just as we move from virtue, doing the right things towards people, to godliness of wanting to, we move from doing the loving thing to our brethren to wanting to. And now suddenly those things that kind of grated on us, I'm going to keep doing I don't like them. They're pers you know, personality things or whatever Whatever we don't like, they grind it on us now. Now we come and says, well, I love them for all those quirks. I'm not trying to change it. And, and boy, when spouses get to that point, well, I love you anyway. In fact, now I love you because of them. 
because now I understand you, because I've ex- exerted myself and applied myself in this relationship, I can grow there. It is interesting to see the, uh, if you're familiar with the movie Fireproof, that this is what they pictured in that whole thing, was, well, this couple's in trouble, what do you do? Well, you take these 40 steps, interesting, it's 40 steps, uh, and uh, to fireproof your marriage. And uh, the, one of the most important scenes in that movie was when his spouse, his wife, asked him, what step are you on when she found the little book that he was going through? He said, what step are you on? And he said, like, 48. I don't know what number it was, some number. It was way over 40. In other words, it took longer than that for her. So the idea is that I'm going to persevere in this. Why? Because I've gone from doing it, even against my will to a degree, because I have to, because I'm fulfilling obligation to whoever, to now it's who I am. It is my passion to do these things. I will never stop wanting to do these things. And that's agape. And so when we look at this, we say we're not talking about competing concepts. We're talking about complementary ones and that come into play here that we want to grow in. And this, again, is... Uh, similar to so many other passages. We could take you so many corollary passages with this. First uh, John is all about um, <laughs> not only keeping his commandments, but what? Loving one another. If you love God, keep his commandments. Yes, here's the demonstration of your love of God that you love one another. And that's so important to John that we demonstrate that. It's important to Paul as well, as we've seen in one passage. Let's go to another passage. Let's go to one. Um, I think I have time to go to one. Let's go to Ephesians, chapter 3. Because it speaks of these same principles altogether, but expanded from two concepts, brotherly love and agape love, uh, we want to visit it fuller because he talks about it in a more extended way here in Ephesians, chapter 3. Let's pick up in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. That inner man, that's godliness. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then he goes on through the next passage to talk about your spiritual gifts and that uh, the purpose of that to grow the body of Christ. And then verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over lewdness to work all in cleanness with greediness. Going back to virtue. He's kind of working in reverse order, isn't he, from Peter? But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows through corrupt, who grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. And he goes on to talk about what else you should 
get rid of, and those are the aspects of virtue. And so in some degree, Paul just does this in reverse order. He just, as I already did, you're just going to start here and going to back up. Well, because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. Peter says you're going to add to your faith these things. And they're almost in the exact order, just reversed. Because Paul says here's where you are, and here's how you got there. Peter says here's where you start, and here's where you're going. But the concept here is still very powerful, is that we do these acts of kindness, of love, and then of, of long-suffering, of bearing up one another, of, of caring for one another. We do that act until it becomes our very passion. And this should be evident in the church. So when the Bible talks about loving one another, I'm not going to say which one of these two it should be. It should be both of them. But for sure it should be phileo love. I will grant that you have to do that sometimes for a season before it takes hold of your heart and becomes your passion. So if anything, I would be very concerned if I did not see phileo love, agape love, I could wait on that. It'll come. But we must see this evident in our life if we are truly on this right road, on this, on this proper staircase, walking to the development of our faith. And we are reminded here at the end that if I can add these things to my faith, I will be fruitful. I will not be barren. That the knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ will grow. And it will be worthwhile. It won't be in vain. You see, the knowledge of Christ can be vanity. And it is for many people. There are many, many people who know full well what God's word said and don't live according to it, and it has given them no value. You want God's word to have value in your life? You're going to follow these steps. You're going to repeat them over and over and over and over again in every area of your life. And then you're going to have fruitfulness, valuableness to this instead of barrenness. And then it says later on, and this we're going to talk about a lot more next week, it says that uh, we're going to be making our call and election sure, that confidence that it gives us in our faith. If you are a selfish Christian, that should be concerning to you. It should be oxymoronic to every, ever say that. But yet I find myself identifying, well, that's a very selfish Christian. Where is anyone else? Where is their ministry to anyone else in their life? Early this morning, I woke up and, and um, couldn't fall back asleep real quick. And I got on Facebook and I saw someone that had commented. It wasn't one of my friends who I knew, who I'd ministered. I was his pastor in times past, not in this church. And I said, oh, what's going on in his life? You know, he commented on one of my friends' posts. And I was like, oh, what's going on in that person's life? And I click on his thing and I was appalled. Because everything is around that person. Everything, there is no ministry, there is no engagement with other people. Uh, the only thing that was any value to him was his cat. And there's something wrong. And when you go through that and say, well, where's your church family? Where is your ministry? Where is your outreach? Where is your concern for the lost? Where is any of that in your life? You are completely self-absorbed Christian. And that should never go together. Those, those two concepts are, are, are polar opposites if we understood what it is to add to our faith these seven elements. And as I peruse through this, I, I discover this person has had four, five, six attempted suicides. That's how selfish his life had become. So self-absorbed that he could see nothing but despair and my whole challenge is where is your faith? Because it brings it under question, doesn't it? Yes, so many, you want to just say, oh, we love you, you're this, 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 I'd like to come up and slap you. Because you're not living out your claim to your faith, to that faith in Jesus Christ. And you're completely self-absorbed. 
And why is there so much suicide in these last two years? You've been kept from being involved socially. And social interaction isn't just about what is benefiting me. It is about the opportunity to engage with people and to, because God made us social creatures, once you remove that, now I can't engage with you, not just for my own benefit, but for your benefit. I have no opportunity to serve. And so all of these people, I mean, you can't believe how many suicides are going on still to this day as an as a outpouring of our social isolation. Well, for the Christian, spiritual suicide is out there too. Where I never get past what's in it for me attitude about my faith. We must be exercising this in brotherly love to the point that at some point, even if it's obligatory because God says, so the pastor said I have to do this, so I'm going to do it, I don't like those people, but I'm going to do it. Uh, and you can sigh and moan and groan about it and complain, that's all sin, by the way, but you can, or you can just do it gladly out of obligation until one day, suddenly, it's your passion. And you can't imagine not doing it. To build these new patterns of life. And yes, even affections. And so I come to this and, and I look and I say, where is your virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness? Where's your, where's your kindness? You have more kindness toward a cat than the body of Christ? This is the reality in so many people who consider themselves Christian. And I have to ask, how can it be? Well, simple. We just stopped adding to our faith. We thought faith was enough. We didn't think we had to add to it. When we have a clear directive on multiple passages that it is our expectation, uh, God's expectation of us, that we add to our faith. He has given us the means to do that. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. He's given us his spirit to add to our faith perpetually to grow. And then we're going to press even further in this a little bit more next week and then what our future holds. Wow, what a future. Do you see that in verse 10, 11? For so, well, I didn't finish verse 10. If you do these things, you will never stumble doesn't say you won't stumble as bad, does it? You will never stumble. You'll never be in the position of that man in such despair and self-absorbedness that you are constantly going around thinking about suicide and death. Rather, you, are, you should be absorbed with what can I, how can I minister to these people around me that are my brethren in the Lord because God has done so much for me. I should be living my life full of thanksgiving because God is so gracious, loving, good, and kind. Verse 11 says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. And the question I want to finally challenge with you is, how do you want to enter heaven? It doesn't say that the people who don't add to their faith won't have entrance. It says that you won't have an abundant entrance. <laughs> how do you want to enter heaven? There's another passage that talks about smelling of fire when you get there. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's not my preferred entrance. I don't want that to be my entrance to heaven, is that, well, he barely escaped the flames of hell. In fact, I could smell them on him. I don't want that to be my entrance to heaven. Peter says there can be a better one supplied for you. It could be an abundant supplication, an abundant supply, that you will have a, 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 an exciting entrance into heaven. This is what we should long for, is that there should be an entrance into heaven that is abundant, that it is joyful, that is full, that, that is... Rich. Not a meager one. Not a, not a barely eked in one. Oh no, a rich one. An abundant one. Into that kingdom of God. And this is why these seven are so valuable. Not only for today. Not only for our confidence. Not only for our future here so we'll never stumble. But for our eternity. I'm convinced that what he's referencing here is 
the judgment seat of Christ, where all our works will be judged, whether they are of value or not of value. I want to have an abundant, valuable, enduring claim there. I want to have an account, as Paul talks about in Philippians, uh, in heaven, waiting for me, by which I can glorify God for all eternity. For it is only by his grace and mercy that we are able to engage in this, but it is a cooperative. It requires something of us to choose whether we will be diligent to make these things ours, to add to our faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And we do pray that we might be diligent to love one another. Lord, that may be on various scales of motivation here. Lord, help us to be growing in our love for one another in the right direction. And it might be evident that whether we have come into that, uh, that passionate commitment or whether we are doing an obligation that those evidences of our desire to love one another should still be there. Those acts of kindness, those acts of sacrifice, those acts of considering others better than ourselves might be consistently seen in our lives. Lord, help us to look for those opportunities to lay hold of them And then, Lord, that one day we would grow to maturity in our love for one another. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your spirit, for your people around us. Pray you might just keep working on us till that day of entrance into your kingdom. That we might not be stumbling our way in, but that we might stride there, standing fast, in our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. His name we pray. Amen.